All right, brethren, we are in Mark chapter 4. And Mark is a very interesting book. We've been having Mark as a um, study, Bible study in our home. About twice a month, we'll, we'll meet, have a potluck meal, and, and study Mark. One of the things about the book of Mark, Mark is a book of action. He is teaching. Christ is healing. Christ is calling. Uh, Christ's very first sermon is monumental to me. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe in the gospel. And here's the wonderful aspect, the kingdom has come with Christ. And today we'll look a little more, what does that mean? How does the kingdom grow? What is the aspect of kingdom? What does he mean by this? But the essential gospel is in Christ's first sermon that appears in Mark, is repent and believe. Uh, it's a very, it's a wonderful verse to memorize if you don't know how to start a conversation with someone or, you know, what, if I capsulize the gospel in my mind, what is it? It's the kingdom has come, repent and believe. It really is that simple. And, and this just blossoms into all that Christ is speaking of. And of course, this gospel as it goes out gets a very mixed response. Think of all the different types of people that responded to the message of Christ you have Pharisees, you have Herodians, you have the unclean spirits crying out his name. You have his own people that are being drawn to him. You have the scribes, you even have blasphemers against Christ. You have his mothers and brothers influenced by his words, but kind of Christ is out there as well in their mind. Um, also multitudes, the sick and the disciples of such a varied audience and such varied responses that Christ receives to the gospel. And so Christ in Mark 4 begins to teach them in parables. We have the parable of the sower. We, it's a very large uh, text that we have this morning. It's actually four parables. And all four parables are giving us information about the kingdom growth. And so if you want a title for today, if you're taking notes, kingdom growth would be the title. And we have these four parables that Christ gives. Now, what is a parable? Why a parable? Christ answers that question in this text as well. One has described a parable as laying something alongside something else for the purpose of comparison. So the gospel is like a seed. We can picture that, can't we? Especially in agrarian society, can picture a sower and the seed. And this is a picture, and Christ begins to explain this picture. And so it's laying two things alongside that we can learn about both. We have the, the sower and the seed, and we have the kingdom of God. We can learn about the kingdom of God by this comparison of this parable. Mark, Mark 4 parables also give insight into the nature, continuing growth, and consummation of the kingdom of God. It gives us a very widespread idea of what the kingdom is. How does it begin? How does it progress? What does it consummate in? What is the finish line? What is the, the aspect of the kingdom? It's very sweeping and very wonderful to have our eyes open and see more of what it means to be the kingdom of God. So its purpose of a parable is, I love this uh, definition. This is from Hendrickson. It is a divine disclosure of truth. That's what a parable is. At its heart, it's a divine disclosure of truth. Christ is giving this parable to all. He's giving this 
information about the kingdom to all. Now, there's a divine disclosure to some, and that's what you have the soils, how they respond to that. But you have the graciousness of Christ to give forth this parable to all. In a sense, they all receive the same information. But a parable has the aspect that it gives a divine disclosure of truth, and yet it's hidden from hard hearts. So it's very interesting that it's, it's a form that when you lay it side by side without divine help, you don't get from the parable to the disclosure of divine truth. And to have that disclosure of truth, it's very important, isn't it? How we come to the word of God. If we come, well, I'm going to analyze this and see if it really matches up and see if my standard is met by this word. Guess what? You may never make it past the parable part to the divine disclosure of truth. Because there is a certain type of soil you need to be to receive, to make that jump. We have the word of God and the text before us, but we need the power of God and the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to us. We need both. We need the accuracy of the word of God as it is given, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome and give us the true insight to what it is. So here we have it's, it's blind. It's to those who are blind. Uh, they do not receive it. Uh, blessing. It blesses those who accept the mysteries. We will see that in the passage. And it's actually a cursing to those who reject the obvious. Christ is healing. I mean, this didn't come out of this. Mark 4 didn't come out of thin air. Christ has a whole ministry before this. He has a great ministry after it as well. So here are four parables, uh, and there are about 39. There's at least 39 parables in the New Testament. Here are four of them. This is the parable of the sower. The parable of the lamp, the mystery, I just call it the mystery, we'll see what that means when we get to that parable, and the mustard seed. And they all tell us about the kingdom of God. And so again, I would entitle this kingdom growth. If my sermon were three words long, it would be description, secret, and assurance. Those are going to be the three heads that will look at kingdom growth. So kingdom growth is the title, description, secret, and assurance will be my three points this morning. So let's dive right in. In verses 3 through 9 and verses 14 through 20, we see descriptions that Christ gives of the kingdom of God. We said this is a public parable, and yet Christ has a private teaching to those who linger and long after Christ. Uh, to, to hear his words. And apparently, Christ was asked two questions because he answers two questions in his private teaching. The first question is, why parables? And the second question would be, why this parable? And Christ answers both those questions. In verse 11, he says, to give par- I speak in parables to give the mystery of the kingdom. And I believe this is the root of where Hendrickson gets his phrase, it's a a divine disclosure of truth. Because a parable is to give the mystery of the kingdom. This whole passage that we're in is to give the mystery of the kingdom. And in verse 13, we see that this is a primary picture. How will you understand all the parables if you don't understand this one? Now, when I first started reading this, even a couple months ago, I was like, do I get it? I felt like I wasn't, you know when you read something and you feel like you're not getting it, and why is this parable, in a sense, a primary parable to understanding all the parables? And I'm trying to link together in mind what, you know, 
First of all, what does a parable mean? Lord, help me. And then secondly, why is this parable paramount in the sense that understanding this parable helps us to understand all the parables? And with that comes the kingdom growth, understanding his kingdom. And so it seems monumental, and we have to ask ourselves the question, do I understand? And, and so those are the two questions he answers. He gives the primary picture of the kingdom of, of God as a sower and seed. And so this is that aspect. I think this is why it is primary. Christ is the chief sower, and his word is the chief seed. And this will help you as an overlay for every parable that follows. What is the kingdom like? It's like a sower who gives a seed. And if, if we hear the sower and seed, we got to the level of parable. If we understand that this is Christ and the word of God, we are beginning to come over to the side where we see the truth. When we are that soil that openly receives that sower and that seed, now we're given Holy Spirit aid to really see what's going on. And this indeed will help us with every parable that follows. And so Christ says, this is to bring forth the mystery of the kingdom. And here's the primary picture. And so get, you know, when you play Monopoly, you, you start with go, right? Here's, here's the go parable to understanding all the other ones that follow. So getting the word, verse 14, getting the word is key. We have to be sure we are getting the word of God. Now, in my charismatic days, I have a charismatic background, we whip up the emotions, and then you worship God. And the Reformed faith, and believe me, I have more reasons to dance in the Reformed faith than I ever did in the charismatic. But here, we take the truth of God, and that leads our mind and our emotions and the person. We should be responding to that. See, it's different to get you whipped up emotionally with songs and exclamations and then have truth to lead all that. We're not emotionless churches, not by any stretch, but we let truth lead that way. We let truth bring the order. We let truth be the touchstone of which settles us in these matters. And so it's glorious. More reason to sing now than ever before because it is truth. So we see that there is a varied response. We see there's two questions. We see there's a core description of the sower and the seed, and this becomes key to understanding all the parables in this description of the kingdom of God, we see that responses are varied. We see the audience that are varied. We've talked a little about the audience, the many different people who heard the gospel. We see the responses are quite varied. And reception and rejection occur both at the same time. There's a mixed response. There's various degrees of responses. And we see that Really, we, what we see is that very little should surprise us today when the gospel goes out. And some people are agitated. And some people are nonchalant. Well, you, you know, that's your truth. Some people are, are gripped and made to feel guilty by it. Some people think you're oppressing them by it. Some people embrace it and cherish it. Give me more. And so we see today, it shouldn't surprise us that we would see a wide spectrum of responses in our own personal attempts at sowing and bringing forth the seed of the gospel. Interesting, too, that the receptive, are told, we are told, grow and gain more. And the non-receptive even lose what they have. 
So the receptive soil just continues to grow. And I think that's why you get the 30, 60, 100 fold is that those that are the right soil are continually cultivating and growing and getting more. And this comes out in the parable of the lampstand later in this passage as well. So we see two, respon- we see two re- types of responses, four soils of response, but we see two types of response. Three of those soils are a fruitless response to the gospel. The first one in verse 15, Satan simply takes the seed off the path. And their hearts are hard. And remember, Christ is probably dealing with the Jewish leaders at the beginning of this chapter. He recognizes their hardness. They are in mind. They are, even when Christ is healing in the temple, is it right to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? And Christ is healing a man, and they're plotting his death. I mean, his, his... Even the words he used is so pointed, but they are so hardened that there's not even a second look at what Christ is saying. There might be a look to see if they can somehow trap him with what he's saying, but they are so hard that 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 gospel is immediately pulled away. They barely, I think, even barely get the parable. They never enter into the spirit, understanding it. We see that there is a second soil, verse 16, that has no root. And uh, this is a shallow understanding. Uh, again, Hendricks used a great word. This is the impulsive reception of the seed. The gospel goes out. Oh, yeah, I like that. This is a new thing. This has novelty with it. This is a new view, a new perspective. I like the paradigm here. This is good. right? And someone can jump in. You can jump in too quickly without a mindfulness of the gospel. Because the gospel does have persecution. The gospel has worldly sorrows that are brought upon it. There are opposing forces that will come against you because you are a Christian. And therefore, a simple, a simple uh, gospel that is shallow, that is just a quick thought, oh, I think I'll try that. I'll taste that. You know, I'll have a flight of religions and let's make Christianity one of those. No, you can't have that. It will not ever have enough root when persecutions do come. And, and we, we were at a, a Sunday school, and they were talking about trouble, and, and they were talking about uh, weighty matters that pull us down as believers. And they said, we have to just trust God to get through it. And we, eventually the conversation came around, but isn't it amazing? We grow most in times of trouble, don't we? Often, there's a greater danger spiritually in prosperity than there is in trouble. The Lord brings trouble to dig us deeper, to root us in more to the soil. And here, the soil does not make that test. It doesn't continue. Thirdly, verse 18, uh, a lack of fruit, a fruitless, fruitlessness is seen in those that are among the thorns. And I've heard pastors say, this is the one that makes me shake. To be in Christ so long, to grow up with the thorns, to have cares of the world eventually enter in. Uh, This is the longest played one. Of of the fruitless responses, the seed among the thorns has the longest played out version before it comes to being fruitless. And therefore, to some degree, we all have to face that as we continue on in Christ in this world. What is our attachment to things? What are the things that concern us? What are the things that bring us fear? Later on, as we get to the lamp, what are the things that make us want to put a bushel over the lamp? Persecution is the attempt for the world to put a bushel over that lamp of God's kingdom growth. Fear of man, 
is sometimes a lamp we put on ourselves uh, that is putting a bushel on that. And so we are among the thorns the world advertises to us. When you find yourself being a little more separate from the world, you're being blessed, right? The world says, go out and get all you can, get the gusto and live for today, for tomorrow we die. I've been reading a ton of retirement books lately. That's my season in life. And they're always talking about the bucket list. The bucket list is things you want to do before you die. You know, we can wonderfully reframe that. A bucket list is things you can do before we really live. Because there's no comparison with this life with the one that is to come. We are sown in corruption. We'll be raised incorruptible. But this whole idea of a bucket list, I kind of like the thought bucket list now because it makes me think of the contrast. It's not things I want to do before I die. I mean, let's live for Christ because when the day of my death comes, I'm really living. And it's so bright and so glorious. But we have to watch out for the thorns. That is a fruitless soil. It's the cares of the world growing up. We have to always be looking at ourselves and saying, Lord, keep me from the thorns. Pray against it. Lastly, under the section of kingdom growth description is the fruitful response. One of those soils is fruitful. And it's, it's described very specifically. And where there's three soils that all fail, here's one soil given three descriptions of why it succeeds. There is a fruitful response. It's those that hear the word, they accept the word, and they bear fruit. All three are there, and all three really are, they really organically tie together, don't they? They hear the word so they know the truth that is presented. They accept the word, which is such a great distinction from all the other. At some point, all the other soils do not accept the word, but they accept it, and they bear fruit. And so we see this mark upon them. And a little later, we're also going to focus on the disciples and those who are with them. You can see their acceptance of the parable because they come to Christ to ask more about that parable. And so isn't that interesting? It's predicated on their being a good soil to accept what Christ says, even when they don't understand fully what Christ says. I feel like I'm missing the boat. Am I the good soil? Maybe, and maybe you felt like this. Am I missing the boat with Christianity and the gospel? Because every time I read something, it's almost like I realize there's so much more I don't know, right? It, I, my, my universe was this big, and now that I learned a little bit about Christ, the universe is this big. So what I don't know has quite exceeded what I thought I didn't know, or however, I don't even know how to say it anymore. I believe you know what I'm saying. And yet, they prove themselves, even in their ignorance of saying, I don't, I, think I'm, I, don't, I don't think I'm getting the parable as I ought. They show themselves to be the good soil because they go after Christ. The disciple, those people, tell us about the parables. And so they're accepting it, they're hearing it, and they're growing with it. You know, when Christ said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will build it up, the disciples did not understand that. After Christ rose from the dead, it says, then they recalled the words of Christ. And, and, you know, when we read the Bible over and over, we get to a point where when we read it, when we first come to that text, we now know what it means because we've gone over and over and over, right? The disciples didn't have that benefit. And they had a time of doubt until the Holy Spirit brought illumination to that. So anyway, we see the good soil. We see the description of the kingdom of God. 
we see that it is primary to view uh, the sower and the seed and that this will help us with all the parables. Secondly, let's look at the secret of kingdom growth. Interesting that all four of these parables have an aspect or a sense of being secret. Verse 11 with the sower, verse 22 with the um, lamp, verse 27 with the, the mystery while the man sleeps, and verse 32 with the mustard seed. They all have an aspect of either calling it secret or mystery or the sense of it in other words. And so a mystery or secret This is where we again get to that point, the great statement from Hendrickson, it is a divinely disclosed secret. Christ is bringing to light this secret. In the pagan world at the time, a secret was something that was kept. You were to know it, but you were to keep it hidden, and it was sort of like a rite of passage. It was sort of like a little hidden badge that, you know, kind of like scouts maybe. When you actually complete that understanding, then you get the badge for it. But Christ is displaying it openly for all. So with the sower, we see the secret shows the significance of the word and the seed. And that when you have this understanding, it will grow. And that if you have a rejection of it, it'll be taken away. And so this secret is Christ. The secret is his gospel. The secret is that it is being disclosed. With the lamp... We see it, the secret, it exposes, actually, the lamp actually has a dual aspect of the secret. The first aspect is that it will expose the secrets of others. So all things that are hidden will be exposed, Christ tells us. And also, the person who holds that secret, for them, it will become brighter and brighter as well. It will continue to grow. So it not only exposes the secrets that are hidden, It takes the secrets a person holds and it expands them as well. The sense of secret is also seen in the mystery where the man sleeps and the kingdom secretly grows. It even says he does not know why. He does not know why. So brethren, his ignorance and our ignorance are never stopping factors for the growth of the kingdom. I don't know if you find that encouraging. I find that very encouraging. The kingdom is going to grow, and it's not me digesting it that makes it grow. I get to lean on Christ for him leading me, and the shepherd leads me. Sometimes I don't know where I'm at on the map, but the blessing is the shepherd does. And so here we have that aspect of uh, the mystery. The kingdom grows even while sleeping, even while we don't know how. There's also a sense of the secret of the kingdom of God with the mustard seed. The fact that it starts so very small, and these are amazing things. It starts among the smallest of seeds that are planted, and it grows into this immense place of lodging. And so the the very transformation, uh, the fact that it grows to be very large and very diverse. So we have this aspect of the secret of the kingdom growth, If we want to nail it down to eight points that we process through and then, boom, kingdom growth pops out the end, you're not going to have that picture happen. There are mysteries occurring, and uh, we may think we have a handle on marriage, but doesn't Ephesians 5 also tell us this is the mystery 
that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. It goes far beyond uh, what we can grasp. And I believe this is one of the reasons heaven will be the more glorious to us. Uh, a book called The Bible and the Life Hereafter says God will be forever teaching us about himself. And so that's part of these mysteries. They'll just keep on. God is infinite in his character. So if he's going to disclose himself to it, it's going to be an infinite uh, eternity of delight. We see that outsiders hear the parables. He even quotes the Old Testament. They see, but they do not perceive. They hear, but they do not listen. Uh, if they did, they would turn and they would be forgiven. And so we see that the secret remains a secret to them because they have rejected it. And there's a lot of discussion in the commentaries. You know, do we have this sense that it's unfair that Christ would use a parable that for some, opens the avenue of the secret and reveals it. The mystery is revealed, and then there's those where it is hidden. But we have other examples that we can lay aside this as well. Romans 1 says that God actually can give someone over to their own passions. Uh, with Pharaoh, he, he knows Pharaoh's hard heart. He can leave Pharaoh to himself and know exactly that, how that's going to go. Uh, and so here, Christ is probably thinking of the Jewish leaders already showing themselves to be hardened against the gospel. Uh, and so they are outsiders. They never get to uh, see. They never turn and are forgiven. Uh, I think Calvin said that they bear the blame of their own hardness of heart. Uh, and so there's, and yet at the same time, Christ is actually giving that parable to all. And it's the response uh, that is showing that they are not getting the secret to a place of knowledge or understanding. So what then does it look like if we know the secret? It is to listen to Christ's word. It's to accept it and to appeal unto him. Uh, this, you know, we had a very interesting example of this. Uh, a couple months ago, I read a passage about the fig tree where Christ cursed the fig tree. It was not the season for figs, and Christ was hungry. He went to it, and he saw no figs, and so he cursed it. Some come away, and the commentators, some of these men, fearful to say the things they say, they felt it was very unfair that this is an action not worthy of Christ to take this fig tree, this innocent fig tree, and kill it. It was out of season. It had leaves. And as you study fig trees, and as you look at the context where it is in Scripture, first of all, a fig tree can produce figs out of season. There are normal fig-bearing times, but they can also produce out of that. Secondly, a leaf on a fig tree is essentially advertising that it has fruit. So the leaves are there because the fruit is already there. If you look at what Christ did in the temple, clearing out the temple, if you look at Christ's words to the Jewish leaders, he's saying you have all the advertisements of spirituality, but you have no fruit. That's the, that's the deeper lesson. And uh, it's sort of like God going to Jonah and saying, Jonah, you're more worried about the plant that gave you shade than an entire city of Nineveh of people that are being condemned. So Christ is using this example of a fig tree to say, look, this advertised spirituality is in great error and it's going to be cursed. 
You need a temple that doesn't have buying and selling. You need a temple that is here as a prayer, house of prayer for the nations. So here we have the same thing. We have, he's giving that message to all. And so how do we know that we are in tune with this secret? Well, we come to Christ. Even when we don't understand, we come to Christ. If you've been wearied by the world and you're a sheep that is looking for your shepherd, you go to him, you find him, and you trust him. Isn't that how we pray often when we're in trouble? Lord, I don't know the way out of this for myself or for someone else, but we are trusting you. We, are trust, we, are, we need your help. Uh, we can unburden our hearts in prayer, ask for specific things. But in another aspect, some of our prayers should not be prescriptive at all. Also, Lord, for the things I don't see, and yet you do see them, Please take this and give your answer to it because your answers always exceed my answers. And so how do we know if we're getting the secret? It might not be immediate understanding, but it is appealing to the shepherd to get that understanding. Almost like when Peter says, Christ says to Peter, will you also leave? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Who do you believe I am? We believe you are the son of God. Blessed are you. Peter, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. So we can't let our own ignorance or our own fuzzy minds be a discouragement to us when we have a path to approach the Savior, to ask the Spirit for help in these things. So that's the secret of the kingdom. Moving to our third final point, the assurance of the kingdom. This is verses 26 through 34. Some great notes of encouragement here. First one is kingdom growth is inevitable. It is going to happen. Uh, if I look at politics today, if I look at California today, I don't have that same assurance, right? But I look at the kingdom of God and I am so delighted that even if there are dark times in the history of the church, Christ is bringing the inevitable kingdom of God to bear. It will be here. And this is what, this is what the tree tells us. Though it's opposed... There is an encouragement since Christ's kingdom is unstoppable. The seed, the word, will bear fruit. The example here, there's that soil that bears fruit, the tree that grows from something very small to something very mighty. This is the truth of God's kingdom. It is unstoppable. We might be stoppable and enter glory early. The kingdom of God in its fullness for all is unstoppable. And that's a great encouragement. We have also an interesting aspect, not only its completion, but its extent. And if you think of where the gospel was in the days of Christ, the Jewish leaders, you know, salvation is of the Jews. I mean, there was very much a center, either you're Jewish or you become Jewish. But look at the extent given in this tree, the birds of the air, the diversity that comes into it. Look at what it leads to in Revelation, where those of every tongue, tribe, and nation, the multitudes that can't even be numbered, Come to Christ. And so we see the tree, this kingdom of God is not only unstoppable, its extent is marvelous. And so we can expect a very broad extent of it as well. And so despite tiny beginnings, it has a massive uh, growth and despite opposition as well. Uh, Daniel 4 comes to mind, Daniel 4, 34 as Nebuchadnezzar goes through his whole seven-year debacle, thinking he, his hand produced everything, he is convinced through his 
time eating grass. He says, his dominion, he, he opens his mouth to recognize God. He says, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. He sees for all his kingdom was and all he thought it was and how it was taken away from him, he understood that God has dominion in all things. And here we have that same sense with this parable of, of this mustard seed. So application, first application is always get the word. We need that seed still. We want to grow in that seed. We want to appeal unto Christ. We want to pray to the Holy Spirit for illumination. Uh, we turn ourselves into readers. Some form of getting the seed we are always cultivating. Uh, maybe, we, maybe at times we have to go back to square one. Uh, in our pastoral visitations, we're always, you know, what are the means that you're using? Are you, are you reading your scriptures? Do you have a plan? Um, and frankly, at different seasons in life, people have different plans of how they take in the word. Sometimes it's less reading. Maybe eyesight is going. Sometimes it's more listening. And sometimes the, the ears are going as well. Sometimes it's a post-it note. And, a, you know, we are always bringing forth ways we can get the seed. That's how important the seed is to us. We want to grow with it. We should evaluate ourselves, the application, we should evaluate ourselves and put in again, if we need to, the aspect of receiving God's word, reading his word. And, um, and so C.S. Lewis once said, I don't quote C.S. Lewis a lot, but he said, we should take the idea of going back to square one. We should see that as a virtue, not as a setback. And I found every time I think in terms of square one again, I'm a different person square one this time than I was when I went square one last month at this time. Uh, and so we do bring something new. It is a forward progression. Uh, but if we need to, we should be very ready to set up reading, to set up intake of God's word. Uh, I would even recommend Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Whitney. He has two chapters on Bible intake. Uh, I think he has like 17 ways to study a passage in there. So for some of us, uh, enduring saints, if we feel we've kind of gotten into a rut, or, or you know, there's we, we got we're very concerned about taking in the Word of God. That's the first application. Secondly, the Word of God makes us to pursue Christ, His person, Christ asking Him, Lord, this, just as the disciples and these people came to Christ, tell us more about what this means. Wouldn't that be a that's a marvelous way to start your your morning time of scripture reading, isn't it? Lord, tell me what this means. And so we're pursuing Christ, his person. We're, we're leaning on Christ, his interceding for us. And he gave them all this information about parables. He will give us that as well. It's who he is. Thirdly, simply be encouraged. We can approach Christ for understanding. The mystery in the scriptures are those things that were hidden that God is actively revealing. He reveals them in his son. And so we, we have this encouragement. We seek truth and we get more truth. There's always that growth. Interesting that as we grow in truth, we realize there's more and more we don't know. But we are growing in the truth at the same time. How wonderful to know our ignorance does not stop the kingdom of God. How wonderful to know that it is certain, even though beginnings, even small beginnings, will certainly result in large and diverse glory. And on a final note, I started asking myself this when I look at a study for Bible study or, or a sermon. I found it very profitable. What do I love about this passage? 
I have found that simple question has been allowing me to focus. But what do I love about this passage in Mark? I love that there is a Savior I can go to who will give me truth. How lost would I be in this world if I were left to my own devices? And how marvelous to know that there is someone who will come to me who will take his spirit and grab me and he'll say, George, sometimes you're slow with things and I love you, here it is. And know that you're embraced by Christ. I'll tell you what, my heart loves Christ more because he is the sower who has given us the seed. And and I come with this passage glowing. Have I heard this passage before? I have. But is my love renewed and deeper now? It is. Because Christ is that one who loves us so well. The people saw Christ healing and they said they know he does all things well. And that sense comes through in this passage also. And when you're reading a section or a passage, I think it's very profitable. I have found it wonderful and and enlivened my soul to simply say, what do I love about this? Now, I'm an engineer, and usually a thing comes up first. What do I love? I love this thing about it. But you can't fall in love with the things of Christ without looking right at Christ. You know, eventually the Lord, even for me, gets me right into looking at Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, I love you more because of who you are and how you care for us and how you instruct us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do come and we bless your holy name. Our souls respond in gratitude. Our souls respond, you are the Son of God. Our soul responds that you are that sacrifice that fully satisfies our holy God and brings us into an eternity of glory. Lord, there is more here than we can possibly get our minds around, and we know it is glorious. We lean upon Christ. We love you more because of who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for this day. You've even given us a day to be enlivened by your word, and so we bless you and thank you. Please seal these things to our hearts where there are just simply words of men. We ask that you would wash it away by your word, and where there are those gems of truth that are stored in your word, we would cherish them. Seal those things to our hearts for your glory and for our good. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.